0: Darian? It's already going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Long silence. So um, so this week I wanted to explore... So we're, this, these next, these last week, this week, and the following week, uh, we're talking about this teaching called the three characteristics of existence, the three marks of existence, three qualities that characterize the nature of being in this... Realm from a certain perspective, or three. There are many others, but these are three that the Buddha spoke to a lot to, uh, to encourage people to develop insight into uh, the nature of our experience in order to facilitate a wiser understanding in relationship to experience in life and hopefully engender more freedom in relationship to it. Because as we meet the truth of experience, like the truth of change, as we meet it without resistance and struggle, then we're more able to dance with life, we're more able to be fluid in response to the inevitable changing vicissitudes of pleasure, pain, gain, loss, happiness, sadness, joy, sorrow, all the different ways that all the winds that blow through our house, through our day, constantly. Right. The problem isn't in the changing universe we live in. The suffering that arises out of that is when we, when we, in resistance to it, when we're holding on to something. Not wanting it to change. Ever held on to somebody? Not wanting them to leave. Not wanting. Your partner to go, your kids to leave, your reputation to wane, your money to stop growing your whatever it is you know we 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 we're sticky, you know we're little Velcro pads you know we stick to money, beauty, fame, love you know? <laughs> so um so the second characteristic, which in this context, this teaching is in relationship to the first, is the, the the unsatisfactoriness, the pain that arises in relationship to change, which we've been speaking to some today. I'm sure it was spoken to some last week, but I want to emphasize a little more this teaching. So... Um, So the generic word for suffering is dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A, which means unsatisfactoriness or more literally um, difficult to bear, the pain of life that's difficult to bear, difficult to hold, difficult to be with, difficult to let in. So in the first semester we talked a lot about Suffering and the end of suffering, in the, the teaching of the Four Noble Truths, it's the bedrock of the Buddha's teaching. There is suffering, there is a cause, there is a liberation from, there is a path leading to the end of suffering. But in the context of uh, change, we can, we can see the, the suffering nature as it relates to that. Like in our bodies. Our bodies are beautiful and they grow and they stabilize, they mature and then they wither and they get old and they get sick and they get stiff and they get rheumatism and they get you know, <laughs> grumpy and craggy. And you know. So the Buddha said, what is suffering? Old, uh, birth is suffering, old age is, suff- old age is suffering, sickness is suffering, death is suffering. Some of the inevitable things, biggest cause of cause of death is birth. So we're part of that trajectory. So any and and one of the definitions of uh, one of the ways of looking at suffering is, is the Buddha said, the ways that we uh, lose what we have. So loss, loss is the one biggest sort of chasms in the heart, you know, one of the vulnerable places. We're vulnerable to loss. And we all suffer loss not all the time, but a lot of the time. Things are coming and going. Friends, love, health. So if you think about the, 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 the pain that arises for you in, in losing what you love, Losing what you have. Losing what you thought was going to stay with you. So I had a client telling me today that a good friend of hers was um, just about to celebrate her first wedding anniversary with her 33-year-old husband, and he had a seizure at work and died. Just like that. Just like that, out of the blue. We just never know. You know, we hear these stories, and it's always often seems like it's over there. And at times it comes close to us. You know. So I was. Um, uh, it's funny that I'm giving a talk on suffering because I just spent ten days at Esselin and um, <laughs> which is not renowned for its great suffering. <laughs> for those who don't know, it's a retreat. It's a retreat workshop. Uh, place that's on the Big Sur coast, right on the right on the cliffs, with beautiful uh, mineral pools and exquisite nature. Very wild. I was teaching a five-day nature retreat where we just sat by the ocean, and we were really um, lulled—not just lulled, but we were accompanied by constant changing sound. That's what's so beautiful about being there. It's just the you know, the the, the way, especially the waves picked up this week, and um, just this constant reminder of change, looking at the ocean, always in motion, light, sound. Um, so, uh, so it was a very lovely time, um, and not a huge amount of suffering uh, at all. That's <laughs> why you go, that's why you pay all that money. <laughs> so I taught there for five days and night. I couldn't actually leave. There was a little attachment going on, so I stayed for an extra five days and took a workshop. <laughs> I took a dance workshop, which was very beautiful. It was a, a teacher called Vin Marty, teacher soul motion. Very beautiful, heart-opening, profound uh, movement form. And um, it was just interesting to watch. Here we were in this beautiful place doing this very deep work. and people's, you know, as, as we create this space, probably what happens on retreat when we create space is it allows for the deeper swells that we don't touch to come through. And so there's a lot of pain in the group, actually. a lot of grief and sadness and loss and, and just the wounds and, and, the, and, the, and the, the burdens that we carry started to be felt over the days. You know? um, and one particular evening I was walking home, walking to my room, uh, with a friend who works there, and she works at the gate, and she was telling me about her. Um, uh, actually, I was walking with another friend uh, to the dining room. But, yes, can you not hear me? Can you take the volume? Sure, a little louder of the volume. I was sorry. So I was talking earlier with a friend that day. Um, uh, whose mother had um, fourth stage, has fourth stage gallbladder cancer. And later that evening I was walking with another friend and uh, she was telling me about her her young friend, another young man who died suddenly. And the next morning I woke up and um, the the other person who was working at the gate, uh, his wife had just had a heart attack that night. You know, so here we are in this very idyllic environment and death is always knocking at the door. Change, the rug is always being pulled. Not always, you never know when it's going to be pulled. So I wrote a poem about it the other night. It's called Friends in Pain. Tonight over dinner a friend relayed her story of her mother's struggle with four-stage gallbladder cancer and how by chance, on a random switch of airplane seats, she ended up sitting next to an interested doctor who just happens to specialize in that kind of illness, and how he became her mother's primary care physician, and perhaps one of her only hopes of survival. Though her mother still struggles in her battle, and my friend's heart hurts terribly, she would at times wake up sweating in the middle of the night, as you do when loved ones are facing such tragedy and not knowing exactly what she, sh- what, what she could do. I just listened and felt saddened by her pain and offered to pray for her mother, not to console her but out of a genuine desire to help. Though in my heart, as I told her, I wish I had those magical powers you hear about, where I would simply lean the white torch of healing and shine it in her mother's direction. Sadly, I lack those powers, and frankly, I'm not quite sure what I would do if granted them and what seems like a blessing may, uh, may, may, may be quite the curse. So I extend my rose petal offerings and hope that by some magic she is lifted by its fragrance to a realm where her body can float above this beautiful but tormented world, as we all hope to do at times, but not like one facing the reality of leaving this world. Later that night, as I walked under the canopy of stars, another friend told me why she had been crying that day as she'd been thinking about her dear friend who had recently passed. And I chose in perhaps English fashion not to ask what he died from, so as not to burden her more with pain, but simply held her, which which is sometimes all you can do. And as I climbed into my single bed, I pondered how death is always cramming its faces up against our windows, sometimes banging on the door. And I wonder when it will be my turn to be summoned from the other side, to leave this place of laughter and light. So we never know the uncertainty and the vulnerability that comes from that, the not knowing, the, the, uh, the fear, the anxiety. So the Buddha talked about the unreliability because everything is in change, as Martina probably mentioned last week. There's nothing, so what do we depend on? What do we look to for refuge? You know, our bodies, right? it's not so reliable. Our relationships, they're in chicken flux. The stock market, well, we know about that. You know. Real estate, well, we know about that. You know, Where do we look for? For the ground of our being. Yeah? And it's a very unsettling place to hang out if we're really in touch with that. <coughs> the false sense of security is the only one there is. So it said. So, as always with these teachings, it's important to bring a tender-heartedness to our existential dilemma. That we're one of the few species that is conscious of its own mortality. So we have to hold this bizarre fact that we're only here for a really short period of time. Maybe shorter than much than many of us think. You know, we think, oh, you know, I'm this age and maybe I have another you know, 20, 30, 40 years. I'm sure this young man at 33 probably thought he had a good 40, 50 years. Boom, that day, died. So to be holding whatever challenges, difficulty, anxiety, fear comes up with this human life, with change, with loss, with the inevitable burdens, to, to hold those, to hold ourselves and hold others with a lot of kindness. What else can we do but bring love? You know, it's really clear in this workshop I was at when people were suffering. Just you know, the importance of loving each other, caring for each other, holding each other, tending. Because <coughs> it's hard. It's hard to. You know, my my definition of dukkha, the suffering, is it's. Um, I've forgotten what it is. It's. Um, <laughs> It's the the, impermanence of memory and words, and uh, it's hard to be human. That's my definition. It's hard to be human. You know, to be tender, vulnerable, open, sensitive, and to be—you know—we all have our—we all have our burdens to carry. So, where is change in your life that's challenging? Like, where's your edge? You know, maybe you're fine with getting older, you know, maybe, <laughs> hands up, <laughs> but maybe when you get sick, you know, when, you know, when the hip pain starts, or when the backache comes back, or when the, you know, rheumatism is painful in a cold, damp morning, you know, maybe that's where, that's the rub, the, and the, the fear of the, the, the decline of the body, maybe that's, that's your edge. Maybe it's the fear of um, loss of your roles, loss of identity. You know, maybe you're about to retire, you know, or you are retired, and you've lost that identity that you had for 40 years. Or maybe your children are about to leave home or left home, and you went from being a parent to not quite knowing who you are, who you're going to be when they depart. And I have a lot of friends who have been going through that process right now, and it's really a huge... Seismic shift and can be very painful. It can be very liberating for some and very painful for others. Very disorienting. Maybe the suffering that comes around the changes in, in fortune, in money. You know, maybe you lost a lot in the recent crash. I had a friend who lost everything, and, uh, including his house. And he would also had the unfortunate position of advising a lot of people to invest in Madoff. So not only had his own loss, but he had the the, the guilt and the, the burden of having his friends lose a lot of their own money. So maybe it's around the financial insecurity that we don't know. You know what's going to happen to my 401k? Maybe it's already disappeared. It's around your employment. What am I going to do? You know, maybe you're laid off or maybe you, just, you, know, you don't know what's, what's going to come down the pipe. So we all have our different places that are challenging, don't we, around, around change? Maybe it's about mm, the fear of our relationship ending and being alone or growing old alone. So is that chant that's chanted by uh, monastics and practitioners in Asia a lot. It's a Pali chant. All things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. So how would going through some of those things I just mentioned bring great happiness? Loss of money, status, role, identity, relationship, doesn't exactly make you feel that kind of giddy, does it? you <laughs> the list. To be in harmony with this truth, to be in harmony with the inevitability of change, of loss, of growth and decay, of birth and death, of winter and spring. To be in harmony with this truth. What does it mean to be in harmony with the changing nature of your body and your fortunes and your relationships and your health? How is it when you get sick? Do you kind of fight and moan and complain and feel a victim? And, or do you, oh, yeah, well, the body's doing its thing. That's what it does. It gets healthy and it gets sick and it gets healthy and it gets sick. Or do we blame ourselves? We think we've done something wrong. So, you know, in this teaching, it's it's saying... The, the the suffering isn't in the change the suffering is in when we have a contentious relationship with it when we fight it, when we resist it, when we hate it when we blame ourselves, when we personalize it there must be something wrong with me because I'm getting older and sicker I must be doing something wrong you know we live in this culture you know, like eternal youth all these self-help books about eternal youth and you know and And as people were saying, where's the opportunity in it? Where, where's the opening that, would, that, you know, on the one hand, there's a, there's a closing of a chapter in a book, but it, it leads, gives rise to the opening, to a new possibility. Can we see the possibility in the dark places when we're really challenged and threatened? As Rumi says, keep looking at the bandaged and the wounded place. That's where the light enters you looking at the wounded bandaged place that's where the light enters so do we ever is that even a concept we could let in that in that loss in that grief in that changing sands there's some light coming through because it shakes up the old it shakes up the familiar it shakes up this idea that we know, you know sometimes in safety and familiarity there's a certain kind of numbing kind of death you know, it's not alive it's not really how you look outside you know, everything is in flux Nothing has a stasis. So this is... Would you mind repeating like, the other thing you said, the chant? The chant? Yeah. Uh, in English? Yeah. All things are impermanent. <laughs> How's your Polly? <laughs> All things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. Sukho, Sukho is happiness. So I don't think happiness is the best translation of that word in this context, but it's—I'd say—brings great peace. Yeah. You know, are not necessarily going to be happy that someone, a loved one, passes away, but if we're not fighting that at some point there'll be peace, knowing that that's the truth. You know, when the Buddha, when his two great um, uh, friends and um, the two sort of main elders that he had friendship with for many decades, you know, very close to both of them, both had great powers in certain ways, uh, and teaching, and uh, you know, he said, uh, someone said, how are you doing? You know, your two best friends have passed away. How are you doing? And he said, it's like the sun and the moon have disappeared from the sky. it's that that immense uh, loss. So he was clearly affected by it. You know, it's not like oh yes, all things arise and pass away. My friends have passed away. You know, it's like the sun and the moon. It's a beautiful metaphor like, to lose the moon, to lose the sun. And I also imagined that there was some such profound knowledge of the truth of change that there was also some peace in that. There wasn't. There wasn't fighting that. You know? So I like to read this poem by the poet Roshani who speaks to um, finding the possibility in the difficult. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken, a shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound, whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place open inside which is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken. Maybe you've tasted that, maybe you know that in your experience when you've gone through the fire of something that was felt so unbearable you thought you were going to literally break and die, you know, with grief, with challenge, with pain. And you didn't. You, you went through that and grew, opened to some place that's profound and um, wise So one of the things about these teachings, these three characteristics, is, is they're the universal nature of our experience. Right? We're all subject to change. We're all subject to loss. We're all subject to suffering. We're all subject to these winds that blow through our lives. Nobody gets away with it. You're not doing it wrong. We all have our burdens. So it can help connect us. You know? We often connect with, our, with the... the With our inner humanness, right? With the fragility of this life, you know, we connect with loved ones and friends when they're going through tragedies because we know that from our experience. And the more, obviously, we go through that and metabolize that, the more we can really be there for somebody. So I remember I was dancing in this this piece we were doing, and. Uh, dancing with a friend, and she was weeping and really you know, just touching deep layers of distress. And I just you know, had worked through all, you know, being with all of myself in a lot of distress for, for over these years of practice and just, just hold space and really, you know, really she said, she really, it really allowed her to, to really go deep into that place that was you know, kind of a healing so we can offer that. We give, you know, just as I'm sure this poet Rashani does, you know, we've really dive deep into that broken place and found that which isn't able to break. The heart doesn't break. We think it's going to break, isn't it? The heart doesn't break. So in the, for the Buddha, uh, being in this changing transient world, The question he asked himself was why if everything is changing subject to birth, old age, sickness and death why do I keep seeking after all those things that are also subject to birth, old age, sickness and death? That seems like a setup of for (laughs) suffering. Why don't I seek the unborn, the undying, the unaging, the the deathless? That which isn't subject to this. Find that peace beyond all of those things. In the midst of those things. So Stephen Batchelor wrote, puts it in this way, he says, To know deep in your bones how everything you experience is fleeting, poignant, and unreliable undermines the rationale for trying to grasp hold on, to grasp hold of things. Possess and control it. To fully know suffering begins to affect how you relate to the world, how you respond to others, how you manage your own life. For how can I seek lasting solace solace in something that I know is incapable of providing it? Why would I stake all my hope for happiness on something or someone that I know will finally let me down? So everything's going to let us down. Everything that you think is reliable is going to let us down. How does it let that in? The ultimate betrayal, maybe, from one perspective. So you know, so and it, and it begs a question: How do we how do we move in the world? How do we have relationships and have children and love? And you know, when we know it's all going to go, everybody, love is going to go. Either them first or you first. Who knows? We don't know that. That's the only thing we don't know. So Mary Oliver has a response to that. She says um, in a poem called "In Blackwater Woods." Every year, everything I have learned in my lifetime leads back to this, the fires and the black river of loss whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal. To hold it against your bones, knowing that your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. So it's not that we disengage from life. Oh, it's just changing. It's, you're gonna, you know, it's all impermanent. Well, I'm just going to you know, not participate because it's impossible. You, you have to participate. Otherwise you die of starvation, loneliness or something. So it's how do we engage? How do we move lightly, you know, like a Tai Chi master? You know, connected, present, but they also are not sticky, you know. They're, you know, they're more like Teflon, you know, <laughs> moving through and things you wash off, you know. So, and it's a dance. How do we do that? How do we open, feel, be a full, responsive, alive human being, feel the joy and sorrow of the world? And also, how do we also... <laughs> And the letting go, I think, happens partly, partly out of experience, but partly out of knowing, being in alignment with the truth, with the reality of things. Like the reality that things change, things pass. We can't hold on. Holding on is suffering. So how do we practice letting go? How do we love, connect, and let go? Give people space to be who they are. Give our children space to be who they are. Love and let go. So I'll close with this story, then I want us to do a little exploration. So um as I was mentioning, we, we have this uh impermanence amnesia, right? We always we forget that we're until we look in the mirror and go, God I <laughs> More hair growing out of the ears and on the hair. You know. And um so, uh, so I once had this student, she lived in Wales, and um, she went to see the Dalai Lama for the Kala Chakra Ceremony, which is a 10-day ritual, a very beautiful ritual, and a lot of it's focused around impermanence. And she was so moved by the, by the teaching that at the end, uh, she, she took one of the roses from the altar as a reminder of the teaching, took it back home to her an altar, and the rose, you know, of course the rose petals, you know, And she dried them, kept them on the altar, and eventually sort of withered as they do. And one day the cleaner came in and saw all these, you know, dead flowers, and just vacuumed them up. Like, you know, God, why is she keeping all this dead stuff around the place? So she came back and noticed, you know, she was horrified. I'm like, oh my God, this is, you know, Lama, this is Kala chakra, <laughs> there's roses. So when her husband came back from work, he asked her. To, she asked him to uh, go through the vacuum cleaner and see if he could pull out the, the the petals from the, you know. And so the the rooms, dust everywhere and crap, you know. And and, and at some point, the I mean, mission she gets it. Like, oh wait a minute this was a teaching about You and holding on to these dead roses in a dusty bag. and, uh, and she, she got it. She got the teaching. That was the Kala Chakra right there. Ten days, boom. So, um, yeah, so we forget and then we remember and then we forget and then we forgive and then we remember and then we forget and we forgive and we, so that's how, that's how life is, right? We stumble and we wake up and we stumble. So... Um, I'm always amazed when I buy something new, like, you know a, I don't know, a car or a shirt or something, and then, you know, and then it's something, gets stained got a stain on it usually pretty quickly. And it's like, oh, no, like, that's not supposed to happen. You know? Or, or my, what I noticed, actually, most takes me by surprise is, you know, like, I have favorite, favorite tops, you know, favorite sweaters or T-shirts, you know, and I wear it all the time. And then, and then it starts to fray, and I'm like, What? <laughs> like, that's not possible. Like, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fooled again. You know, just this belief. It's going to last forever. It's like how we think till we get <laughs> smacked enough. So um, so I have a couple of questions here that I'd like you to explore. Um, uh, where is the truth of change most challenging for you and how do you deal with it? So where is, this, where is this experience of transience most challenging? Aging, sickness, you know, all the different things I talked about. Money, relationship, economy, who knows where your edges? is. Yeah? And how do you deal with that? How do you, how, what do you do? What, what do you bring to that? Yeah, so just turn to somebody and uh, introduce yourself and say hello and just explore that for uh, seven or eight minutes. And if you can't find somebody, just join a group of two. So you don't, need, you don't need to record it.